Hello, welcome back. I'm Cece Provo. And I'm Allison Markstadt, and you're listening to the Wealth Cap Speaks podcast. In today's episode, we're speaking with Michelle Langdon, co-founder of WealthWorks. We'll be talking about the likability trap, a concept discussed in a book by Alicia Mendez that helps readers understand the systemic problems affecting women in leadership. Are women leaders sacrificing being authentic in order to be likable? And how do we reverse that trend? Michelle's from a big entrepreneurial family and a Generation 2 family member who's passionate about bridging the generational divide to empower women in family businesses. She's a trained professional coach, an international economist, and a former advisor to governments around the world. Michelle, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Let's go ahead and jump right in. Could you explain what you have referred to as the likability trap, being the pursuit of likability at the expense of authenticity? We talk about this a lot with our clients, but I want to share that it's actually the title of a book that's written by Alicia Mendez. So it's not my original work, but I think it really does a great job of explaining a cultural phenomenon that a lot of women feel. And it's this idea that we are pursuing leadership, but leadership often has to be considered synonymous with the way men have always do things. And so it's challenging for women to be seen as leaders, especially especially in male-dominated family businesses or fields, because we either act the way that society expects women to act and then be told that they're not leaderly enough. We've heard so many women say they've been declined for promotions because they didn't have enough executive presence. Or they'll act the way society expects men to act and they'll be penalized. So they'll be told they're pushy or aggressive or too demanding. And I think what this leads to for a lot of the women that we work with is feeling inauthentic and burnout. Michelle, that's so fascinating that you um, have explained the cultural and societal um, impact of this. You know, why does it feel like for women, the two are mutually exclusive? And how did we get here? Yeah, I think that they feel mutually exclusive because we haven't seen women in leadership roles in the way that we're starting to see them now. And we're still not even close to there yet. I think one of the common stats we point to is that there are 38 to 39 female CEOs in the Fortune 500. So, you know, we're really at at such a small number there. But so it starts to feel like likability or relatability and leadership qualities have to confirm or adhere to the way that men have always done things. So if we don't have a model to look up to, women are consistently trying to do things in what we'll call like the man's way, simply because that's the way that it's always been done. But women have ways of doing things that are both important, that are valuable, that are make them really good leaders. And we don't necessarily equate those things to being good leaders. So women are constantly running, you know, running to hustling harder to try to figure it out and try to live up to the expectations when what we kind of need is to take a step back and and start to reassess the qualities and traits that we've put on leadership or um, relatability such that women can thrive in things that they are naturally good at, like listening and compassion and empathy and being good observers. So do you think it's possible to simultaneously prioritize being likable and authentic? Or is it important to focus on strictly being authentic? 
It's a tough question because at its face, we're all human and everyone wants to be likable. I mean, I think we're bred for connection and we want to be in community with other people. And so to say that you should deprioritize being likable, it's hard. It's hard to swallow because you're, you're going to want to be connected to the people around you. But I think that what we find over time and with the clients that we work with is that the more that you put likability at the forefront, the more that you focus on that as the only goal, the less likely likely you are to be showing up with the traits of who you really are. And, and the, the reason that's important is because it lets you feel at ease with yourself. And that is what creates a level of confidence and ease in, in relating to the world. Because the pursuit of likability is the thing I think that gets in the way of feeling easeful, feeling confident. You always feel like you're trying to live up to something that you can't quite meet. So I think it's important to remember that likability is something that we're all going to struggle with naturally, but to put an emphasis on also remembering that you're valuable and worthy and that, you know, who you are and showing up as the most authentic you is really important as well. That's very fascinating. And, you know, we want to acknowledge that women, not just men, are guilty of using the same qualities or energy traits when assessing other women's leadership abilities, which obviously perpetuates the negative stereotypes and feedback loop. So what can women as a group do to support other women to break this cycle? I think this is a, a, a really important piece of the puzzle that we often see, or the, perhaps the, the prior way that this was looked at is that there was only one position for a woman. And so women had to compete to get to that one spot on the, the ladder, for lack of a better word. And I think what we're starting to see now is that collaboration is the way that we take this forward and that women can. An example that we use often with our, with our clients that we work with is that one of the ways that we can support ourselves, but also seek to support other women is to make sure that if a woman is getting talked over in a meeting, you reiterate what she says and give her back the floor and allow her to speak. I think this also means that we need to look at the hiring cycle and the attributes that we put on who is the right person for the job to make sure that there isn't an assumption that the 24-hour workday or the, the, the job requires constant attention, which you know leaves out working mothers or people that have other responsibilities outside the workplace. So it, I think it's a combination of the little micro manifestations that show up in meetings where you're supporting other women and being heard and having their voice said. And then it moves to the macro and the systems that allow from hiring to the way that we support women as working mothers or non-working mothers, but as people that um, have responsibilities outside of the workplace in ways that men also do, but not to the same extent. And I think the pandemic has really uh, made this come to light in such a strong way. The number of women that have left the workforce as a result of the strains that have been put on them with respect to raising, not just raising kids, but schooling them and navigating childcare has just really devastated the, the working world for women. And I think that macro level adjustment needs to also be looked at. In light of what's transpired following the pandemic, in addition to creating a setting during direct and group engagements to ensure that everyone is empowered and being heard, how else do you encourage clients to not only be confident, but to recognize in themselves what is authentic versus a likable trait that they may have created? That's a great question. I'll start with the, like, how do you think about what's authentic versus 
something that maybe you've created to be likable. And I think the easiest way to discover or to discern what's true is that the things that you do that are meant to make you more appealing in someone else's eyes are going to be the most draining. And so if you are trying to look at the way that you, you know, the way that you relate or the way that you interact in the world, the authentic living in your authentic truth is going to be more likely to give you ease, enjoyment, flow, satisfaction, and the things that you're doing that are more interested in the people pleasing or the overcoming feeling like an imposter. So you're trying really hard are going to leave you drained and lacking in energy. So I think that's one of the ways you can start to discern within yourself what's an authentic trait versus something developed to be likable. But when it moves into trying to find confidence in the person that you are instead of the person that you're trying to be, one of the things that we have our clients do is do a real assessment of what we call their superpowers. Like, what is it that you are really great at? And that's like a no holds barred approach, right? It can be anything from I'm really great at spreadsheets to I'm really great at this random trick that I learned as a kid. But you know, what what are you great at? And then how does that relate to how you show up in the workplace? So to give you a specific example, one of our clients is pretty young and works in the family office setting, serving higher net worth clients. And she was concerned that people don't take her seriously because she's too young. And one of the things that we walked her through was an exercise to discover one, what she's really good at, which is great with technology, good with understanding impact investing and coming up with innovative ways for their financial strategies played out. And then we helped her get confident by role-playing and practicing scripts that she could go in and not like take the thing that's authentic to her, which could be perceived as a disadvantage or something that she didn't feel super confident about or was worried that someone else wasn't going to like her in this conversation of the professional role and turn it into a reason why it it differentiates her from her peers. Yes, I might be the youngest person in the room, but guess what? I also have my hand on the pulse of the latest emerging trends in financial technology and impact investing. And that's something you're going to want to know about. So it's in the combination of understanding who you are and then getting comfortable practicing, using that as a strength in your conversations through practice that you can feel confident and authentic at the same time. Michelle, we love to hear how you and Ella work one-on-one with clients to bring about change. And we really appreciate that change does begin from within by each of us on an individual level. But if this is largely a consequence of systemic challenges women have faced for centuries, it assumes there must be change at an institutional level. And you did reference a macro level in the workplace. Is it beyond the workplace though? And how do we move that needle? Yeah, we debate, we talk about this question a lot because I think there's the systemic level that changes need to take place at. And then there are also individual efforts and approaches that we can take to help move the needle for ourselves and for others. And I think that one of the things, I'll give you an example in the case of looking back a little bit at my story. So I grew up in a large family with a big family business as the backdrop to the the way that I was raised. 
of the second generation in my family, there were two women. I was the oldest of them and six men. And what I found really interesting as I was, you know, in my teenage years into my college years is that we all had some sort of role working in the family business, but the opportunities that were being afforded to me, this is kind of the system level, were things like what other women in the company did, uh, filing papers, answering phones. And the opportunities that were being offered to my brothers and my siblings were things like strategy or sales or like learning more about how the business operates. And so I'm not laying fault on anyone at why this is the case, but what I saw from that, what my perspective looking up at that was like, I don't, this isn't what I want to do. <laughs> I don't want to answer their phones. And so I saw as my only option, because I didn't have the tools or skills to start a conversation or to raise my hand or to use my voice to ask for more as I'm going to go start my career elsewhere. And, and you know, that's what I did. And I went and created success in my own right on my own path. But when I look back at the missed opportunity, knowing that entrepreneurship and starting a business, which now I've ultimately done was something that I always wanted. I I wonder if the system had looked differently and there were other women in roles that I could look up to, would I have done something different? But at the individual level, if I had someone that said to me, well, hey, why don't you ask? Like I could have started a conversation and I think, you know, the generation above me would not have denied that. It just the default moved along with, with the assumption that that's just the way that things were. And so what we like to do is talk about the way that the system needs to change. And one of the pieces of that is changing the way that leadership and the people in charge value things that women are really great at. Um, It can't just be about force and decision-making and standing up and having this executive presence that a man has had, but it also needs to include listening and compassion and understanding and observing. So there's a conversation that needs to happen and policies that need to change, but we like to also work on how do we give women a voice and show them through both the coaching tools and the curriculum that we bring, but also through getting to see the experiences of other women like them, that there are things that you can ask for, you can advocate for, you can learn things that make you a better candidate for the types of roles that you want, whether it's in your family or without. So that's a long-winded way of sharing my answer to that question, but there's so many pieces of it that there's a lot to unpack and, and there's a lot of work that can be done on both levels. Thank you for sharing your personal story. I think that would resonate with a lot of women, whether they are working within a family business or an outside industry. Now, as we look at this from a macro level and most recently on a global scale, there are a handful of female leaders across the world that have done an exceptional job in the face of such adversity brought on by this pandemic. What do you think the reason is for the success from the leaders in Taiwan, New Zealand and Germany, to name a few? I think one of the key pieces that all of the ways in which we see leadership veer off into the tracks of whether it's corruption or greed or any of those pieces of the like unintended or unhelpful outcomes is that as you increase in power, you lose access to empathy. There's a lot of research that's done that like every degree of increase in power, the less likely you are to be leaning into empathy and understanding what people 
people are going through, whether it's the people that work for you or the people that are around you or the people even in your family, if you're the most powerful decision maker in the family. And what I think a number of these female leaders did is because this is a trait that is often attributed to women or people that express themselves with more feminine energies is actually lean into understanding empathy and compassion. And I think that starts with listening. And so what you saw, for example, Jacinda Arden from New Zealand do is relate to the struggle and the concern and the confusion that the people were feeling at the start of the pandemic and then encourage through listening and a calm observation, the general cooperative nature that was going to be needed to move through this. I think that there are some things that get done well by force, but encouraging a collaborative response to a major borderless pandemic is um, force isn't one of them. And so I think listening and empathy and understanding are some of the key pieces that I think made people want to support, believe, and um, follow the guidance of the female leaders in, in some of these countries. That's so fascinating because it it seems that it would be intuitive that those energy traits, those female traits that you mentioned, such as empathy, compassion, listening, um, collaboration, uh, would define a leader, but obviously we have a lot of work to do. So what steps can we take to recode leadership and promote female values and more leadership roles? You know, I think um, one on, on a positive note, we are starting to see some of those values in the increasing role. Uh, we have our first vice president of the United States that's a woman. I think we can see even in the way that Kamala Harris has shown up to her role that listening and understanding and those pieces are, are being taken more seriously. Um, but I think one of the things that's going to be important, particularly as we build the, you hear often that the pipeline isn't there, that there's a pipeline problem of, of female leaders because they are leaving the workplace or they're raising children. And, and I think the reality is, is that the expectations that we put on what a leader looks like don't match the way that women lead. So I think that we need to make sure that as we're defining what good leaders look like, that there is a balance of intelligence, of the ability to be charismatic and to hold executive presence, but also emotional intelligence and understanding how to relate to humans and to lead with empathy and compassion. And so when we talk about recoding leadership, it's making sure that it's not one or one or the other, that we all have both masculine and feminine energy traits within us, but we can't continue to believe that only one half of that equation is the important characteristics to how we lead in the world. And so a balanced approach and bringing both of those pieces into the puzzle is, I think, what's going to make a difference as we continue to move forward on this. Well, this has been really interesting, and I think that our listeners will find it to be incredibly insightful, and we can all take steps to make changes, starting with all of us being females who have started businesses and are engaging with other women across industries. So thank you for your time and your insight. Thanks so much for having me.